I've never done that before in all these years. I love my theme music. And I'm a karaoke star. Uh-oh. But maybe I'll start singing on my show. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host and singer, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. <laughs> and we provide information and inspiration for living well and staying safe. And having fun and singing is all part of living well. We're here Thursdays at One Mountain on KLZ 560 AM, and we're streaming live around the world at drpegradio.com. And we're live on Facebook today. Just go to my Facebook, uh, my Dr. Peg Facebook, and um, go ahead and follow or subscribe or like or whatever buttons there are to push there so you'll be notified of when we go live on Facebook. We're brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, the leader in school safety and security. And while there are many ideas and theories on how to improve school safety, only evidence-based training and solutions proven to make schools safer should be considered. And SSI Guardian is the only organization in America that addresses all of the critical components required for a 21st century safe school. Learn more by visiting SSIGuardian.com. And I've got two guests today who have been on the show previously. They're back again today to talk about the path to recovery, whether it's from addiction, grief, or traumatic experiences. And, of course, we know many people are struggling with addiction, and their addictions are not without consequence to the people in their lives who love them. And my guests, Lorraine Hoover and Matthew Jarvis, have firsthand experience of what I'm talking about, and so glad to have them back again. Lorraine and Matthew, welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be here, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We haven't seen each other since last year. Yeah. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's Very good to good. be back. I Very feel good. a lot more comfortable this time. Okay. Yeah, you're becoming an expert now on uh, <laughs> doing the radio, so that's great. And yeah. we're going to um, talk also about uh, your your business, your counseling sure, business. Sure. So you want to get comfortable being on the radio, talking about all that good stuff, because uh, you're one of the best out there. And so we want people to know about what you do and that uh, intervention and the path to recovery. It, it works when we work, work that program, right? Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, we're going to um, just start our conversation before we go to our first uh, commercial break. And Lorraine, I want to start with you because um, you lost your baby brother Raymond two years ago this month. Uh, and he died of a fentanyl overdose. So talk about um, what led up to his addiction and, and his untimely passing. Well, you know, there's, I think over time, you know, I'm no doctor whatsoever, but I think that my brother was a functioning addict mm. for several years. And I think he went, um, had his up and downs and going through a back injury, he having an addictive personality mm. took him down the path where then he was using fentanyl and probably mixing it with other, you know, our narcotics as well. And it changes your whole DNA, mm. quite honestly. And so through that process, um, I don't believe it was intentional, of course. Um, it it builds up a tolerance mm -hmm. and building up that tolerance, you tend to take more. And you talked about it on your last show. It's just a pin, a mm -hmm. uh, tip of a pin of fentanyl yeah. that um, can cause you to go into cardiac arrest. So mm -hmm. um, the path through that, um, you know, brought him to um, where he's now on the other side mm -hmm. and um, he's feeling no pain. And now I'm here to help others not make that choice yes. and hopefully 
choose the true path of recovery that's for them yes. in partnership with my brother, yes, Matthew and Jarvis. Also, um, there's a recovery process for you and your family, and yes. that's what we want to focus on a little bit more on this uh, show today uh, compared to previous interviews that I've done with both you and Matthew. We've talked a lot about understanding opioid addiction and even, as you're saying, the actual chemical nature of this very potent and dangerous drug, um, the, the path of addiction and how it affects. We've talked about all that in the past, and listeners can go back to my program archives and check those interviews out. But today we're really focused on recovery in all of its forms, not only for the person who's addicted with the hope of recovery in their lifetime, but we want to talk about the recovery for the family members who are often left behind and the walking wounded uh, in the in the um, aftermath of a person's addiction. Mm. Uh, well, I'm speaking with Lorraine Hoover, and I'm speaking with Matthew Jarvis, and um, this is Living Well with Dr. Pegg. We're taking your calls live on the air today, too, so we want to hear about your path to recovery. Uh, the number is 303 477 5600 and we'd love to hear with you and put you on the air with us today to tell us about your path to recovery this is living well with dr peg stay with us we'll be back i'm taking my freedom pulling it off the shelf putting it on my chain one needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing american schools they remain soft targets for violent threats and yet our schools go largely underprepared the SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with the maximum locking protection while meeting all life, safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. Our children deserve the highest level of education and the safest learning environment possible. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. Get the QAL today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to SSIGuardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Pegg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today. Oh, <laughs> hey. 
<laughs> All right. I'm going to do that every week. Now. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah. We've inspired. Unless you guys call in and tell me not to. Or post it. We're on Facebook Live today. If you don't want me to sing during the introduction each week, we want to hear from you today. We are taking your calls live at 303-477-5600. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg, and I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. And I've been studying the science of behavior change and habit formation for over a decade. And I want to share with you some of the insights that I've learned about how to experience lasting change. And you can come to my habit hacking session on March 4th. We're going to march forth into uh, this new year. Uh, you can do that on March 4th, or you can come to one of my personal retreats, either privately one-on-one -on -one with me or in a small group of like-minded individuals. And we are going to spend a day of self-reflection and strategy so that you can make the lasting changes you want to make. Go to my website, drpegradio.com, to learn more about that habit hacking session on March 4th or a personal retreat at your convenience, or you can attend the group retreat on March 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Don't get left, left out of these uh, strategic and life-changing events. Contact me today at drpegradio.com. Well, what I want to talk with both of you about, Lorraine Hoover and Matthew Jarvis, my friends who are back again, uh, we're talking about the path to recovery. And I imagine mindset and habits are part of that as well, which is what I'll be focusing on in my upcoming sessions. Um, they're really at the core of recovery. Wouldn't you say, Matthew, you're a licensed professional counselor, licensed addiction counselor, mindset, habits? Well, I, I, I think so. And I think what you said earlier about lifelong habits or lasting habits mm -hmm. is that's kind of the issue with recovery is yes. people, um, the pathway typically is through crisis. Uh, and they enter through into uh, treatment, mm -hmm. criminal justice, criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And um, but that crisis subsides mm. and then so the issue is once they get on the path how do they how does stay. the person stay on That's the so path? good yeah and so you know i hope to share more about that mm -hmm. about actually getting the path there are multiple paths yeah a lot of the time the issue is the person staying on that path yes and so and how do we not have to live crisis to crisis how, where that's the only way we are in recovery because we we know some people even get addicted to the crisis don't they so how do we have a path of lasting change that doesn't have to involve always hitting rock bottom and always being in crisis but that you're really changing your mindset and see the value in establishing new habits getting the help you need uh, to figure out what those habits need to be for you because I imagine yeah. it's a individualized experience yeah well unfortunately I think everything we know about change sometimes it takes crisis or drastic situations mm -hmm. for us to consider it these stages of change that we go through mm -hmm. and um, like I said crisis are typically uh, temporary mm -hmm. and so we can't rely on oh. crisis situations to, to sustain change yes. and I think one way to, to to move on that is to for families to mm -hmm. stop being crisis managers mm -hmm. for That's for good. people that struggle with addiction wow. because um, a lot of the time the family is the first responder in a crisis situation and they're not um, sort wow. of appropriate to manage that crisis and you know the person doesn't remain on the path so uh, in our in my field a lot of times I'm working just as closely with families as I am with um, an addicted individual yeah. to sort of keep the lanes clear and right I love that 
um, analogy because I talk a lot on this show about critical incident and um, stre- you know critical incident stress management and active shooter you know incidents. Mm, we'll mm. be talking about that on next week's show, as a matter of fact. And so to hear that analogy of you know the family is, shouldn't be in the business of being the crisis manager, and how do we um, get the individual who's addicted res- uh, responsible for their lives with, of course, the support. I imagine the support of family is important, but that they can't be in that role of rescuing that person every single time. Yeah. I mean, it turns into a systemic issue, rescuing, enabling. Mm. I have a client that I was just talking with um, her mother and told her, I did my assessment and I told her, hey, this is what I think Mm. needs to happen here. And the mother basically broke down in tears. She said, I've spent a hundred thousand dollars on my, on my daughter in the last 10 years. And I can't, I I don't have, I can't do this. And I said, well, what'd you do with the hundred thousand dollars? It's, um, Mm. lawyers and mm. bond and rent and yeah. groceries and gas and mom was putting out all these fires for the daughter thinking she was helping yes. but she was really doing crisis management what's honestly i think she realized that she was actually participating yes and nice. and so. who was starting those little fires over and over and over but it it's not to humiliate that yeah, parent right. she loves her child right that's really at the yeah. at the core of it and Lorraine your your brother you've talked on this show before how he was in treatment what was it seven different times something like that um, and we made the point the last time you're on that he he went into treatment fell off but he always got back up again you know and tried again and I just was so impressed by that we don't usually think about someone um, on the path to recovery when they fail and they're they're back to using again we're always so disappointed but imagine the fortitude and courage and perseverance of someone who tries again and goes back to treatment yet again that's pretty awesome yes it is i think that's the process right mm-hmm. back to that path of recovery because um you've got to realize that you've got to make a change to mm-hmm. get a different result mm-hmm. um and a part of that is accepting that okay i made another mistake but what am i going to do differently yes. and and being accountable to own that and then getting the resources and the tools mm-hmm. and knowing where to get them or feeling, um, you know, asking for help right. and acknowledging that that's needed. Mm-hmm. And so it's really uh, a partnership of the individual really realizing I can't keep doing things the same way. I've got to do something different for a change. And uh, then where do I get the professional expertise to inform me of what are some of my options? But, Matthew, it's still kind of a trial and error process, I would imagine, for some. There might be a menu of options, but not everyone is going to work for every individual. Yeah, I mean, I think the treatment now is is individualized. And then there's also sort of a larger template that isn't, which is we know that people do better when in groups. Mm-hmm. And so connecting to a recovery community, learning recovery culture, um, which is really necessary. And so treatment is is effective for stabilization and connecting people to those to the culture and the community. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, the person long term needs to connect themselves to that community. Yeah. And um, once they're in there, you might realize. I mean, if you know recovered people, these are some of the most resilient, tough mm. people that have that have uh, I guess fail if that's the word we're going to use mm-hmm. m- many times. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times because they tried on their own mm-hmm. or tried to through means that weren't. Um, you know, sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so by the, when they finally do get in the path and stay on it, wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, that it's a special kind of person. And you're speaking also from personal experience mm -hmm. that you're in recovery yourself and you are a childhood friend of Lorraine's brother who who tried to be in recovery and unfortunately um, died of an overdose. Talk about your journey into addiction and now your path to recovery and becoming now an addictions yeah. counselor. It's still kind of shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, I was talking with Lorraine about what the path to recovery and we sort of drifted off into how, how Ray got where he was and how, and I said, you know what, Lorraine, we're talking about the path to addiction right now mm. and not to recovery. And, you know, it's kind of a realization that we focus on how people become addicted and trauma and this and that. But where are these paths to recovery? Uh, Raymond and I were child, best friends from childhood, and we were very much on the same path on the east side of Denver for most of our lives. Yeah. And my path to recovery started with the criminal justice system mm. here in, in Colorado. And um, I'm one of those people that thanks to police for safe. Wow. I wasn't at the time. So you got but. into criminal trouble. Yep. I got into trouble. I got into trouble. Mm -hmm. I was given an option, you know, just do your time or go, go to this place. Wow. And the place was a uh, treatment center called Stout Street Foundation. And it seemed easier than jail at the time. Little did I know. And it might, my, my, I guess what the important point here is my family was not in the path. And how old were you at this juncture? Uh, I want to say 30. 30. Oh, so you were on a path to addiction for a couple of decades. Yeah, I spent probably uh, my 20s mm. uh, just suffering and wandering and trying to fix it on my own. And um, yeah, I came into contact with the criminal justice system and they provided a path and I chose wow. it. Um, not everybody takes that path, but I found I, the help that I had always wanted when I connected with people that knew about addiction mm -hmm. and knew about family and knew about um, change. Mm -hmm. And not to say that my family didn't know about those things, but the, the love and the, the enabling and stuff like that made it hard for us to, to work as a unit mm -hmm. to stay on that path. Yeah. So between the two of you, Matthew and Lorraine, what messages can you share to families listening right now, loving families who are spending tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, many, many sleepless nights, paying bail, paying for treatment, rescuing, putting out fires. What do they really need to know and understand so we can get off of this roller coaster and or uh, fair, what's the uh, merry-go-round yeah, yeah. and um, really put a person, help a person get on that path to recovery. Lorraine, what would you say in hindsight and just knowing everything you've learned since your brother's passing? So there's two pieces here for me. Um, my personal path with dealing with the loss of um, a brother or anyone um, was to go to a group. And I did group, a grief sharing, which, um, you know, was, you know, basically it's a... Um, a church uh, incentivized foundation uh, that was based by a couple, uh, Dave and Nancy Gruther, um, out of Nashville. And the program itself, my, you know, myself, I thought, I'm just going to go through this, right? You just, I was raised that you just toughen up and keep, keep it moving. And um, I felt it was a contradiction if I was to do exactly kind of what my brother did, just cope and not really know or have tools on how to cope. And so through that group, they, um, it's basically a group and you get together with people that have lost mm -hmm. others and you have that accountability, but you have people that can relate and then they give you tools to help you uh, work through 
grieving and know that it's different and it it can go on for a lifetime, but you can work through it. And so I think back to the path of recovery, it's the the same type of thing of knowing that uh, it's powerful when you have accountability partners, Mm -hmm. when you're able to be naked before somebody that went through the same process per se, Mm -hmm. and you can relate and there's a connection, there's power in that. And I believe that's the reason why we are individuals and very unique is because we bring something to the table in, in each connection, like the three of us here and the, the time and the energy that we spend. I even got you singing today. <laughs> no, but um, so I think that's a key. And then the other key mm. is the self-help that I had to figure out what could I do to move forward and not get stuck because as a um, you know, my, I have an older sister and me being in the middle, he was still my baby brother and I'm supposed to fix it. So back to that mm-hmm. enabling, I was mm-hmm. supposed to be there for him. I was supposed to, you know, save him. And I said, well, wh- who can I save? Mm-hmm. What can I do through this? And so I realized uh, many people told me that there's a, it was wrong for me to start the foundation, that I wasn't dealing with it, that I was just being busy. Mm-hmm. And I learned out that through this process was the best way for me to really see what it it takes to overcome by giving back to other people and understanding the process of what he went through. Cause I don't think I grasped it. Mm-hmm. I was on the other side of seeing someone suffering, which hurt me. And I couldn't relate to what that was. And now on the other side of it, all of us are just trying to find that path yeah. to be healthy and be the best us that we can be. Yeah. And we'll talk more about your foundation and your upcoming event in a moment, but I'm hearing, you know, in terms of what message can you give to other family members listening, it's really, what can I do to help myself be stronger? Uh, how can I connect with others who can appreciate what I'm going through uh, and focus on what are the things I really can change? It's like the serenity prayer. God mm-hmm. grant me the serenity to courage accept to the change. things I cannot change, but the courage to, to change the things I can. Uh, Matthew, what what message would you like to leave with those loving family members, in particular parents, maybe spouses, who are spinning their wheels trying to do everything for this person. It's not working. And they're running themselves into the ground, their finances into the ground. What, yeah, what, well, what do they need to know? I think, you know, it's important for families to understand that um, it's a, you know, we view it as a systemic issue, which means families involved. Mm-hmm. And that means each family member will be on their own separate path mm-hmm. to recovery. And it, their recovery can't be dependent on the addiction wow. person's recovery. Right. And so learning how to detach from that, which can be difficult. And, you know, sort of a grim reality about this is that love does not, a mother's love, a a husband's love, that doesn't cure addiction. Mm. Any better that wouldn't cure cancer. They need professional help. A lot of the times they need to connect with a community. And so just knowing that and understanding that I think is a, is a, good starting place for families and then obviously to stop being um, first responders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so really um, being able to say, I'm going to get myself healthy because for the addict in the context of family to get that far, you know, down, (laughs) uh, really involved the family dynamic. So what what role did I play in it as a family member and how do I get healthy? Because you're 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 in some sickness too when yep. you're in that dynamic. I've had families tell me multiple times, what, what can I do to help my son? What do I have to do? And so the best thing you can do for your son is, is get well, well yourself. yourself. Learn how to have boundaries. Mm. Boundaries are the opposite of addiction. They're mm. the repellent. Mm. Say, Learn, say more about that. Like what, what would be some examples of just healthy boundaries? Ref- saying no to self. 
this this natural you know it's a lot of the times it's it's contrary to mother uh you know paternal instinct mm -hmm. to not try to rescue your child we don't want to see him suffering and so boundaries internally saying you know what i have to step back from this situation and sometimes let the nat natural, natural consequences yeah. it's um, almost like parenting a toddler Mm -hmm. And there's a program out there called Love and Logic yeah, that really yeah. talks about the natural, while they're still safe in your home, let them experience the natural consequences of their choices because we do love them. We want to kind of mitigate uh, the negative response, yeah. but we still want them to have the consequence. It sounds like even developmentally, any addict probably is still more like a toddler or more like a 13-year-old than they are truly an adult. Well, and... and not to say that addiction is purely choice. I mean, choice is something that's impaired mm -hmm. by addiction. And so a lot of times a person doesn't wake up and choose to right. destroy their family and their career and their self-esteem. However, when a pathway is presented, then you have a choice. You have the choice. And for family to participate in staying off that path is, is another sort of saboteur of it. And so the boundaries is... You know, I have families that tell their kid, you know, you, I'll drop you off at a shelter. I'll drop you off at a treatment center. Other than that, you're just not welcome in my home. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's what I mean by boundaries. Yeah. And again, addiction is like the complete opposite yeah. of boundaries. Yeah. And so in terms of behavior. Yeah, man, that, that's hard. But it really is, once again, like you're saying, Lorraine, focusing on your well-being. I'm not going to allow you to bring this behavior or even literally these substances into my home yeah. uh, that puts me at risk. Um, uh, I, I'm having a peaceful home here, so we're not doing this if you're intoxicated. So it's putting that boundary, uh, which could feel really hard and harsh, but it's the only thing that'll preserve your sanity as well as give that person even a hope of getting on their own path right. to recovery. Yes. Wow. Well, Lorraine, in the few uh, remaining minutes that we have, talk about your um, foundation that you started for your brother. That was kind of part of your path to recovery. Mm -hmm. You have an event coming up this Saturday that we want people if to participate in. And even if they can't, there's a way they can financially support and participate. So tell us about that. Sure, thank you. So the path, um, it'll be two years on the 19th. And so for the first year, we were able to, the goal is to have wraparound services uh, to those that are financially unable to afford getting treatment. Um, it's very expensive to get treatment and a lot of people don't have those resources. So um, I kind of am an outreaching hand um, where there's an application process on our website. Um, you're assessed by Matthew Jarvis and then um, based on that assessment, you're put into what we're doing now was an intensive outpatient program. And so last year we had a candidate um, who made it eight weeks. Um, she wasn't, it's a 12-week program. She didn't make it through, but the door is still open. Mm -hmm. So again, we've offered her, she knows, I think it was good for the time that we had with her and um, believing that the path is still open. Mm -hmm. So we're still available and the resources are there. The goal this year is to get two people into the program okay. and to offer additional services um, and, and tell us about your event Saturday because we're about to run out. Of okay, time. so the event Saturday is a spin for opioid sensibility at Cycle Bar in Longtree, and it's Cycle Bar is based off of a brother and a sister. They opened the store or their doors um, to allow um, brothers and sisters or people to focus on basically using your um, endorphins in a healthy way. Okay, and so that's the goal is to spin for sixty minutes. So I challenge those that say they know how to work out to come out and join us, <laughs> and then the first 
to half of it will be talking with the lung, the police will be there, um, educators um, to speak about what's going on with opioids. Great, wonderful. Lorraine Hoover, thank you so much for coming back on the program. My pleasure, thank you. And Matthew Jarvis, thank Thank you you as well. It's a pleasure. And so we want to see you out at Cycle Bar this Saturday. Go to drpegradio.com to get the links to learn more about this exciting event that's for a good cause. My guests have been Lorraine Hoover and Matthew Jarvis, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well.